Okay. Everybody with me in Hebrews 12. Verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would, that is, he desired, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." I want to speak to you tonight about the battleground against bitterness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. Thank You for the privilege of being here. Thank You for the joy it is to my heart to be here and to be with these folks. And Lord, I rejoice still in the freedoms that You've given us here in our country. I think of all You've done in my life and the lives of these folks. Lord, it's our desire that You do a new work, a needed work in our lives, whether it's salvation or sanctification. I just ask that You'd speak to each of us very clearly and that we would surrender and submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How is it that a church-going man has been married to the same woman for 30 years, he's got a good job, then all of a sudden one day he, he flies off the handle, he kills his wife, shoots a bunch of people at work or something like that? How could that happen? Or, or maybe a, a similar good, hard-working American couple, they have three or four kids, and all of them turn out to be immoral or criminal or a bunch of bums, well, that's the kind of things we are seeing in our country, and I guess it's that's always been true in, in every generation and so forth. But uh, these are things that are happening to people, and we, we, we look, we wonder what in the world, what's happening. And of course, it would be hard, in fact, it would be impossible for us to know all the factors that go into situations like that that seem so unusual. But in our passage, God tells us that of one particular factor that could be the cause of all those problems in and of itself, and that factor is bitterness. Uh, the tendency in, above the unbelieving world is to attribute these types of breakdowns, these disasters and so forth, to social problems, you know, poverty, discrimination, easy availability of guns and stuff like that. Uh, psychiatrists tend to attribute these kind of problems to some type of mental illness, which the person's not responsible for that at all. It's just something that overcomes them, you know. Uh, but those ideas, though they're largely accepted by our society, are, are totally refuted by our passage tonight. If we want to avoid these types of terrible problems and avoid the judgment of God... God gives some essential truth in 1 Corinthians 11.31. It says, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 
If we were to take the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. We'd get it taken care of now. And according to our passage here in Hebrews chapter 12, it is a practice, there is a practice that we must particularly employ in regard to this matter of bitterness in our lives. The Bible teaches us that when an individual allows bitterness to lodge in his or her soul, that bitterness will molest that person spiritually, rob him spiritually, defile him, and possibly a lot of people around that person. So they're cut off, or he or those people are cut off from God's grace. Now think about that being cut off from God's grace. And therefore it's urgent that we diligently guard our souls to prevent bitterness, and if need be, dig out any root that's already lodged in our hearts and souls. So we're going to talk about the battle against bitterness. The first thing we want to identify is identify what bitterness is. In verse 15, it says, "...looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled." So Paul speaks of bitterness, you know, which we could think of as simply an emotion. I'm just irritated a little bit, or I don't, you know, got up on the wrong side of the bed, but he calls it a root. You know, the, the basic thing, something that lodges deeply in the soul. He says it springs up, that is, it manifests itself in our lives by thoughts, emotions, words, actions, all those things can be a way of manifestation. And therefore we must not deceive ourselves to think that bitterness is just a passing emotion. It's not just that I got a little irritated now or something like that, but is indeed a destructive condition, a disease, or we could call it a cancer in the soul. Now let's try to get a little better idea of what we're talking about, what God's referring to. Just use a, the American Dictionary, the American Heritage Dictionary gives these three different de- definitions, which are similar. First, the experience of severe grief, anguish, or disappointment. That would be one definition for bitterness. Secondly, exib- uh, exhibiting strong animosity. And then third, the bearing of pained resentfulness. It's pretty good definitions. Uh, Eating his commentary on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. He re- that was written in 1883. He said this, It is a figurative term denoting that, that fretted and irritable state of mind that keeps a man in perpetual animosity, that inclines him to harsh and uncharitable opinions of men and things, that makes him sour, crabby, and repulsive in his general demeanor, that brings a scowl over his face and infuses venom into the words of his tongue. And then, quote one other, Reinecker and Rogers on Colossians 3.19. It says, the verb has the idea of being sharp, harsh, and bitter. It speaks of friction caused by impatience and thoughtless, inconsiderate criticism. So when we speak of bitterness... We are defining a condition of the soul that is the result of hurt or disappointment or angry, or being angry, anger. And therefore, bitterness is the fruit of a wicked selfishness. Wicked selfishness 
that has festered and has produced what I could call a spiritual boil. When I was a kid, I used to get, at one period of time, I used to get boils fairly regularly. I don't know why they started or why they stopped. But if you've ever had a boil, it, you, you have something, a place on your skin that begins to fester and swell. And at first, or maybe throughout the whole thing, depending on how it develops, it could be slight, the pain could be slight, or it can grow so that the poison causes your whole body will become fevered and you can be pretty sick from it. If it's not lanced, spiritually we'd say by the sword of the Word of God, the spiritual infection and that infection moved and removed and so forth, unless that happens, the, the consequence of, of bitterness can be tremendously, it be very severe, very severe. Bitterness usually grows from some painful experience. I think about Peter when uh, he had said he would not deny the Lord. Jesus told him he would. And then that night after he denied him, he saw Jesus face to face. And it says he went out and wept bitterly. That was a painful experience. Very often these experiences come from within the setting of the family. You think of the numbers like that in the Bible. Esau, Absalom, um, Michael, David's wife. Uh, some, you know, and there's on and on, we'll mention some others that go through the message tonight, but some trouble arises. It's not dealt with properly. It's not dealt with scripturally. And uh, it, bitterness develops in the heart out of sight. He's talking about a root here. Uh, every time I mention this thing about bitterness, you know, uh, Brother Schmid's horticultural guy. And he told me that the root of kudzu could weigh 400 pounds. Now, it's kind of like an iceberg type thing, apparently. I mean, kudzu goes all over the place, but bitterness, the real root, a real problem is something we don't normally see, or we may see a little bit on the outside and not realize what a big problem it is. Uh, and it, it, again, if the trouble arises, not dealt with properly, then before long it will be manifested. So we've got the definition here, but it gives us more of a description in verse 15. It says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So bitterness can lie hidden for a long time, or at least for some time, and grow with only maybe some minor eruptions that are appearing occasionally. However, there are some clear signs of bitterness that can be detected before these large eruptions take place. Now, in Acts chapter 8, verse 23, uh, there was a man there that made a profession of faith. He'd been involved in witchcraft. And... Paul said to him, I think it's Paul, he said, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He was enslaved by his bitterness. Gill, commenting on this, says this, Under the power and dominion of covetousness, ambition, and hypocrisy, and in a way pernicious, that means destructive, to himself, infectious to others, and ungrateful to God and to good men, 
and that instead of the root of the matter, the truth of grace being in him, there was nothing in him but the bitter root of sin, which bore gall and wormwood and everything that was nauseous and disagreeable. That's the way he's talking about Simon the sorcerer. Notice the things that Gill mentioned there in that quote. He mentioned covetousness, ambition. We could just say this, constantly having to compete with other people, social settings, so forth, competing with each other, trying to always got to be better or something. Hypocrisy, which is, of course, putting on a front of happiness and spirituality and friendliness when it's not there. And he mentions ingratitude. I would add one other thing, and that's depression. Depression is often a manifestation of bitterness. Some families breed bitterness. There's sarcasm, constant criticism, harsh words, family divisions, choosing sides, there's uh, things like public humiliation, and bitter speech and biting comments. We might be given it, or they might be given it as a kind of being joking or making a joke or something, but it's, it's not funny to the people who are getting those comments. Romans 3 verse 14 says this, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Or um, Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And you can see how all those go together. So the Word of God puts those together. You know, people like this would never humble themselves to admit that they were wrong. They've never asked forgiveness, never really worked uh, until it's resolved. They, so the strife just continues in whatever the circumstances are. James talks about it like this in James 3, verse 14, certainly in a church setting here. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and get note this, lie not against the truth. So there's somebody that's got this bitterness in their heart, but they try to appear joyful and spiritual and all that. He says, you're lying about what's in your heart when you conduct yourself that way. And the Bible warns of this in the family. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 9, 18, it refers to the men in particular. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Verse 21, it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Uh, in Ephesians 6, 4, it refers to the fathers particularly in relationship with their children. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bitterness often grows when people, especially young people, I think in this case, when they feel that they're cheated or that they're treated unfairly. Being, you know, everybody treating you fair is a big thing to kids today. I guess it always has been to young people, but particularly in, in our society today, a bitter person feels like he or she always has to compete with somebody. We've got to prove our worth. We need to get recognition or attention or something like that. If we don't get it, then we're upset about it, resentful of other people. Somebody gets honored, they get a blessing, they get angry. <laughs> Here at church, somebody drives in a new car, at least one that's new to them, and it 
to make somebody mad. That's, that's the most bizarre thing in the world. I ought to be saying, praise the Lord, they got a new car. But there's this, you know, why didn't I get that blessing? Or I need to somehow or another improve myself, or at least in other people's eyes, having to compete with, to prove they're better, to prove we're worthwhile. We find ourselves resentful in a situation like that. We're angered if we don't feel like we get the proper recognition or attention. Uh, and as a result, a lot of times people that are bitter are always questioning somebody else's motives. Somebody could do something, minister, music or something like that, or what they're, you know, they gave something or they did something good and I know what they're really thinking. I know the reason they did that. And their motives are not pure, but really it's the person that's making the judgment that's like that. And particularly, somebody who's bitter is unable to receive criticism. They take any kind of constructive criticism or reproof, that's an attack and it's and they, and yet they're usually judgmental and critical of others. And so we have a, a definition of bitterness here. But then notice the molestation of bitterness. He talks about it having, it, first of all, an inner failure in verse 15. He says, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, the Bible speaks here of diligent, careful oversight because of severe problems that may result. In other words, we should be having this oversight, being careful of ourselves spiritually. He uses the word fail. He meant fail. The idea there is like if if you were running a race, a mile race, you came up about a half a mile back from everybody else. That means you would have failed. You would have lagged behind or fall short of a goal to lack something. So we're lacking. We're not having what we should have in this case, it's grace. You know, grace is the power of God that gives us every spiritual blessing. If we fail, if we come up short, if we're lacking in the grace of God, we don't have the Lord's blessing. We don't have the Lord's power. It's being short-circuited. That's what saves us. That's what supplies everything that we need for the Christian life. And it may refer to somebody failing to obtain salvation, like the Jewish, uh, the Jews who were professing Christians there in Jerusalem, who who turned back, or a guy like Simon. He said it says that he believed and he was baptized, but he again in uh, Romans, uh, excuse me, Acts eight twenty three, uh, Paul said to him, I guess it was Peter. Peter said that he was still in the in bondage, a gall of bitterness and so forth. Because he had not, he'd come short of actually uh, having the grace of God save and work in his life, and it may speak again a, a, a course of being cut off from the graces needed to grow spiritually. Somebody who is saved, and bitterness comes in, and they can't prosper in the Lord. So we harbor or do not correct bitterness. He says it'll trouble you. It'll trouble our souls. It's interesting how this word is translated in other places, like vex, or disturb, or molest. In fact, 
In Luke 6, verse 18, the Bible says this, And they that were vexed with unclean spirits. That vexing that he's talking about bitterness has to do with unclean spirits. That's in Luke 6, uh, 18. Also, Acts 5, 16. It says, And there came, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about in Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Praise the Lord for that last part. They were healed every one. A bitter person disturbs his or her um, own soul, and they be, they're, they're, they're angry. They're resentful. There's consistent competition, comparison. And soon they find that their prayer life is hindered. Yeah, you get on to pray. And there's no sense of the presence of God. No inner motivation to draw to the, near to the Lord, to love the Lord, those kind of things. Um and the Bible reading becomes dry, and the power of the grace of God is cut off. And when that happens, uh, there's going to be other sins that will amb- ambush us and begin to destroy and attack us, and the soul is without defense. In fact, we'll see that in just a moment. But this is where the warning comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his is it flesh or spirit? Flesh shall love the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall love the spirit reap life everlasting. So when bitterness infects us, the person doesn't necessarily realize the spiritual damage the damage that's being done because he or she is spiritually insensitive. Bitterness has cut off the influence of the Holy Spirit. They're not convicted in the services, perhaps, or, you know, you hear testimonies or you hear a song and it's, it, it doesn't speak to them, doesn't minister to them because they're cutting off the influence and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They don't realize, too, how abrasive, how explosive, how critical or offensive they are, but everybody else sees it and suffers from it. And as he says, grace is failing. But there's an outward destruction as well in verse 14. Let's read the the whole passage there. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And he gives an example. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he wanted, when he desired to have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You to note that. These few short verses here mention several awful consequences of bitterness. 
it says, first of all, that they failed to experience salvation or could and never see God. They'll never see, it talks about never seeing God except in the, con- the, the context of his wrath and anger. Without Holy, he says, won't see the Lord. Well, they will, but it'll be the great white throne judgment. He also mentions being defiled, to stain, to pollute, uh, to contaminate spiritually. The same word is used to describe great spiritual moral corruption in a couple of places. For example, Titus 1 verse 15, which says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Always think about somebody in church who thinks evil of the best things that are happening. God's working in somebody else's life or something like that or somebody really uh, getting some victory and that they, they've got some kind of evil motive or evaluation of it. Or Jude, verse 8, which says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. He's talking about you know, authorities there, spiritual authorities. And it, the example he gives here is Esau. Obviously, he grew up in a what we would call a Christian home, and yet he's called a fornicator. Now, the Bible doesn't, I don't think, particularly mention him being involved in that activity, but that word is sometimes translated whoremonger. It's a man who engages in immorality of any type for hire. It would be hard to think of a lower or more personally degrading or defiling sin. And that sin is, is coupled with, in this passage in the Old Testament, with selling his birthright. So he's involved in this sin that caused him to sell his birthright he was just wanting some physical you know, food. But he equates those things. In other words, the person who allows bitterness to rise up may end up giving up the truths of the Christian faith, the very Word of God, just for some carnal gain. And this defilement can be far-reaching. He said many be defiled. Think about a guy named Absalom whose dad is the king, a man after God's own heart, but there are plenty of problems in the family. David, of course, had several wives. Absalom had a sister who was taken by force by a half-brother. His dad knew about it and did nothing. He plotted for two years and he killed that brother. Hired men to kill him. He runs away and finally by by conniving of that great spiritual man, Joab, (laughs) David brings him back, but he he doesn't deal with the problem at all. We talk about bitterness festering. So he's not only seen his sister abused, nothing done. He murders the guy, takes judgment in his own hands, and still nothing's ever done about it. So he turns his sights on his dad. 
tries to take the kingdom for himself. He chases David out of the, the capital city. What does he do? He defiles his dad's secondary wives. And certainly his whole purpose is to kill his dad, David, but he ends up getting caught, his hair caught in the branches of a tree and killed publicly, slain. And today, you know, a lot of these workplace killings, when you have problems, you know, families killing each other, hostages, situation where people take a hostage and whatever. And the Bible says many are defiled. There's hatred, there's divorce in the family for generations. You know, these sin problems that keep in it. Just law breakers. And of course it happens in churches too. Church splits, people never seeking God. Notice what it says in verse 17. For you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, when he finally decided he wanted to, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance. In other words, he did decide he wanted the things that are spiritually value, valuable, but he was not about to get things right for what he'd done. Though he sought it carefully with tears, he wanted the blessing. He was eager about that, but he wasn't willing to repent. We're talking about the molestation of bitterness, the awful penalties to pay for holding on to bitterness no matter how small it is. Well, that brings us then to the cure. This is the last major point, the cure of bitterness. And he begins by talking about the pursuit of peace in verse 14. It says, follow peace with all men. So the basic rule of peace is this. If you're going to be at peace with somebody else, you must first be at peace with yourself. In other words, you've got to be at peace with God. That's the only way you can have peace in your own soul. I mean, we, we live in a creation. If you're not at peace, if I'm not at peace with the Creator, there ain't going to be no peace. You got that? The only way that we can have that peace, of course, is by coming to the Lord. Isaiah 57, verses 19 to 21, such descriptive passages. I, I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to them that is afar off and to him that is near. Think about that God wooing people. Afar off and near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Uh, in Romans chapter 5, it, it talks about the peace that we can have. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about the great price the Lord paid, how He died for... While we were sinners, He died for us. Defiled and everything else. Of course, when Jesus saves us, He makes us new creatures. 
any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, I, I think we should recognize immediately that it mean that you're completely glorified. But it means that every aspect of our nature and our personality, God has begun doing a work of renewing us and changing us. Boy, what a wonderful experience that is. And therefore, we can have peace with others. However, peace is something we have to work out. Turn with me. You might hold your hand here and turn to Romans chapter 12. Peace is something we have to work at. Romans chapter 12. Of course, we all know at the beginning of this chapter that Paul is exhorting them to present themselves living sacrifices. He talks about in the, the very innermost parts of our hearts and soul. And then, obviously, that has application in our relationship with others. It says in verse 14 of chapter 12, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Well, that's just the opposite of what a bitter person does. But we have to learn to actually bless people and do good to them when that's that's just the opposite of what we want to do. We have to make up our minds to obey what the Word of God says. In verse 15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that do weep. This is not competition. This is ministry. Be of the same mind one toward another. In other words, you know, the, the sinful nature, we just hear things, say things, whatever, and there's this animosity. The spiritual person pushes that kind of side and learns to rejoice to those rejoicing, weeping with those that are weeping. Be of the same mind one to another. We find some way to find agreement with them. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. It's not measuring ourselves, you know, who's got the most money, who's the most spiritual. Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Uh, the word honest in the, New, in the New King James, it kind of has the word of excellent, being excellent. But yes, honest is pure. If it be possible... As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I think that primarily refers to people outside the church, but you might have one or two like that inside the church too. Whether they want to be peaceful or not, we can be toward them. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And that's not telling you to be motivated by wanting to heap coals on somebody's head. He's just telling what the reaction will be on the person who's against you like that when you treat them that way. And when the Spirit of God works, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so God demands that we pursue peace and that we re seek to resolve personal uh, com conflicts. Pastor Bowler, I I'm sure you 
This is one of the most difficult things about being a pastor is trying to get people to make things right with each other. At least from my perspective, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you know, if you go to the altar and there you realize that somebody has something against you. It's not if I've got something against them, I feel bitter to I need to get it right. No, I know that somebody has got something against me. I'm supposed to quit worship and go get it right with them first. So Matthew chapter 5 is not enough. So in Matthew chapter 18, he says, if somebody sins against you, who's responsible to make it right? I am, the one who was offended, the one that was sinned against. And not only that, but if they blow me off and maybe even insult me more, I don't quit. He said, I go get somebody else in that church body and we go back again. And if that doesn't work, there's another couple of steps as well. Most people, if you can get them to do the first step, that's pretty good. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. In bitterness, and these problems with, between people are so serious and so damaging that unless we really follow what the Word of God says, you know, the pastor will spend all his time putting out fires between people in the congregation. Of course, this kind of effort must begin at and be established in the home. In the home. In Ephesians chapter 4, let me just read here to you. In verse 25 to 32. It says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Parents can't lie to their children. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, somebody may say something that genuinely angers me, and I don't vent that anger now, and not only that, but I make sure I take care of it before the day's up. Now, our folks at Calvary know this, but there's been a few times, maybe two or three, in my married life, when we've stayed up past our bedtime. In fact, maybe on into a couple of hours after, in which we were working, maybe not as, as sincerely as we should have been, but working toward trying to get something resolved before going to bed. And sometimes you think, sometimes actually I have to admit, there's probably been a time or two where I said, you know, this problem, why am I upset anyway? I need to go to sleep. Why am I angry? And you try to think back by this time, you've been arguing, you know, I've already forgot. Because it wasn't really anything to start with. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Well, he likes to get control. Work in our minds, our thoughts, our emotions. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing that is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth 
Now that doesn't mean, that's not necessarily talking about profanity or something like that. Sometimes just that little zinger that you send is corrupt because it's designed to provoke somebody. Is that spiritual? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Get that last point? It's not about what that person said or done or who they are. It's what God has done for you. We're to forgive as He's forgiven us. Unless we take these steps, we will never have peace. It will be filled with bitterness. But to fully persuade pursue peace, he says we've got to do something else. In verse 14 and 15, he says we have to pursue holiness. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And this is where we're going to conclude. We're just going to look at some practical things about how do we pursue holiness. Well, the whole idea of holiness is jealously guarding a right relationship with God by avoiding all sin. So he says that we need to look diligently. Being very careful. Inspecting. It's inspecting our lives. Allowing the Holy Spirit to inspect our lives with the Word of God. Overseeing something, you know. And there must be this diligence that he, that he commands here. There has to be this urgent attendance to not sinning against God. As we can see in respect to bitterness, this diligence has a lot to do with our attitudes about things and our attitudes about people. Let's take an example that God has given us to us here, which is Esau. I'll give you a real tough question. Did Esau have a reason to be upset? Well, I mean, let's, let's think about the situation. Are you, you, I'm sure you know the story. Jacob cheated him. You know, he got all dressed up, put the, hair, the skin on his arms and all that, tried to change his voice from high to low. And in Genesis 27, verse 36, the Bible says this, and he said, Is he not, this is Jacob, uh, Esau talking about his brother Jacob, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me, he's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he had taken away my blessing, and I'm left with nothing. He said, don't you have anything reserved for me? And of course, Mama helped Jacob cheat Esau. Think about that, parents, when you show favoritism. Mama helped him 
So the answer is yes, but the answer is no. The answer is no because God had already said this, the older will serve the younger. And it didn't make any difference how the younger, uh, the older, the younger got the blessing, whether he cheated or whatever, it was God's will. He already knew that. So who was Esau angry with? Exactly. Bitterness is basically always against God. I think I can prove that to you. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. You might want to hold there at Hebrews 12 again. Luke chapter 17. We're, we're, just, we're hitting some practical things here. We're coming to an end. Luke chapter 17. Now we've already... I already mentioned Matthew 5 about, you know, if you're going to worship, you realize somebody's got something against you. And then Matthew 18, he sends against you the steps you're to follow. But Luke 17, in verse 1, Then said he, Jesus, unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. I mean, you just expect it every day. So there's going to be something that might tick you off a little bit, particularly if you're. If you've got a hair trigger on your bitterness button, it's impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. But notice, he's talking about somebody else and then he says this, take heed to yourselves. In this case, it's not really worrying about what they're doing to you. You need to take care of your own self. If thy brother trespass against thee, do what? Sweep it under the rug? Give a big smile when you see him? Girls, hug him when you see him? Oh, it's good to see you. No, he says rebuke him. This is how we take care of bitterness and anger in ourselves. We do the right thing and said, you know, you did me wrong. Or this thing that you did is not right. Rebuke them. And if he repent, forgive him. What if he doesn't forget? Uh, repent? Well, I'd take the step it up a little bit. But if he does repent, even though that's what really made you angry, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> forgive him. Forgive him. You, you forgive him and release him from the guilt. That's really what the word forgive means. It means to send away. You ever get those envelopes say remit on there? That's, that's what it is. It's sending away the hurt, the anger, the guilt, and so forth. And if he repent, forgive him. Verse 4, if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, this is probably taking about you know, siblings, and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent. In other words, one's found out the magic words, right? I repent. Thou shalt forgive him. Now notice the, response, the apostle's response. And the apostle said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. I don't have to be a spiritual giant to do that. Somebody seven times in a day. And the, I thought you were just supposed to turn the cheek one time. He says seven times in a day. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed. Have you ever looked at mustard seed? It's pretty small. 
If you just had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. Now, what are you saying there? This is just the paraphrase is exactly what it's saying. You don't need any amount of faith to do that. It's what you're supposed to do. You don't need some kind of great faith to forgive people. Just do what you're supposed to do. Forgive the person like God forgave you. Verse 7, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come in from the field, Go and sit down to eat uh, to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. So here's the owner. Wealthy guy's got slaves, servants. That's what a servant is, slave. He comes in. They've been working. They've been doing the physical labor and so forth. And it's supper time. He didn't tell the slaves, y'all go in there and eat. He says, no, you serve me first. I'm the owner. I'm the boss. Why? Will and I rather say unto him, he make ready, Verse 9, Doth he thank that servant, that slave, because he did the things that were commanded him? I'll just paraphrase the last part. Absolutely not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. Here I come to God with all these sins, innumerable sins, and call upon Him by faith, and He washes me clean. Then I got somebody that, they didn't say it right. You know, they didn't say it right to me. What did they mean by that expression? They're just a sorry, low-down person. And we hold that against them. And we can't forgive them. Because they didn't say it right. He says, you don't need faith to do that. Do what you're supposed to do. You've been forgiven. This is just the ordinary, normal thing to do. The disciples asked that we need an increase in faith to be able to forgive and work for reconciliation. And He said, this is just your simple expected duty before God. And therefore, the person who does not forgive and work for reconciliation is a rebel against God. That's a dangerous position to be in. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, Samuel said to King Saul, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, He hath also rejected thee from being king. Well, we're not rejected from being king, but we're going to be rejected from having the work, the grace of God work in our lives. For some people, because of family, because of your past, because of things that have happened to you, overcoming bitterness is really a special and constant process. It can be for a, for a period of time. And I mean that seriously. But here is a process 
I'll give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things. And I'll even print them off for you if you want me to. But number one is this. Realize, admit, confess to God that you've received far better than you deserve. If you're better about something, just realize, <laughs> I should be in hell. Number two, fix it in your mind there's only one person to please. There's only one person to please. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you, what they say to you, or how they regard you. You've got to get in your mind that if, I please, if God's happy with me, that's all that matters. Nobody can hurt you if all you're trying to do is please God. Number three, reckon yourself to be accepted in the beloved. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, it says, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. If I have received Christ as my Savior, God receives me. I'm cleansed. I'm faultless. I'm pure. I'm holy. He's accepted me in Jesus Christ. Four, control your mind. Finally, brethren, Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever else you can add on to that verse, think on these things. Control your mind. Sometimes that's hard to do. But 2 Corinthians 5 tells us how. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to obedience of Christ. You know how our thoughts go. They go all over the place in all the wrong directions. Get a hold of the steering wheel. Keep it between the white lines there. Think the right way. Love your enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. You say, I can't love that person. We'll start with just blessing them. Saying good things to them. Do good to them to hate you. Then just pick up some actions. And that, I, I hate that person. I guess I better go uh, mow his yard. So, you know, something like that. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. These are practical steps. These are not theoretical. These are things He's telling us to do. Cleanse your heart and mind by the Word of God. Read, memorize. Psalm 119, 162. I rejoice at Thy Word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but Thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise Thee because of Thy righteous judgments in the Word of God. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Two more. Believe in the goodness of God and praise Him. If you hadn't memorized Romans 8.28, shame on you. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. You say people use that verse too much. No, they don't. 
all things work together for good, but it's to them that love God. To those that are doing His will. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice in the Lord always. And get, no, that's not it. 16 to 18 is the start. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God with uh, Christ Jesus. So, I mean, if I smash my thumb with a, with a hammer, praise the Lord, I hadn't hit the other one yet. You know, <laughs> there's some reason to thank the Lord in all those situations. But we have to believe in God's goodness and praise Him. If, if we don't believe that, how can you believe the story of Jacob? He's sold by his brothers into a, probably a bunch of Muslims, slave traders. What happened to him before he ever got to Egypt? And 20 years later, he goes from prison to being the second most powerful man in the world and delivered those brothers that sold him to those slave traders. All things work together for good. And then finally, don't compare yourself with others. That may seem like a kind of a letdown from the others too, but don't compare yourself with others. Second Corinthians 10, 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Just be happy, you and the Lord. This is the battle against bitterness. 